millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Welcome back everyone to Fighting on Film. Today we're joined by Sebastian Abinieri who's written an amazing memoir on his time working on 1977's A Bridge Too Far. And his book's called The Boys from the Bridge. It was released in 2017. I've read it, and it is an absolute cracker. But we are thrilled to have him on the show today, and he was kind enough to bring along a few of his comrades from the APA. And we have Tim Morand and Jack McKenzie, and they're going to be talking all things A Bridge Too Far with us today. Chaps, we're absolutely delighted you could join us. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed. We're delighted too. Yeah, it's been a long yeah. time. Can you believe it was 45 years ago? Wow. I know. <laughs> so I think the first question are, how did you all get involved in the film? Shall I start? Yes, you start, Jack. There was, was a company called Cinema International Corporation at 139 Piccadilly, which was a universal paramount of Leeds music and so on. And I had a job there and I'm an ex-copper. First, after, after the Royal Marines, I joined the Scottish police. And I was a general factotum, but they said, can you can you operate one of these eyeball switchboards? I said, yeah, I did one in the police headquarters in Edinburgh. So I, I just read Cornelius Ryan's book, A Bridge Too Far, and I learned that uh, Joe Levine was going to be directing it. You never leave an actor in a room with a telephone. This is before mobiles. <laughs> but I had 20 lines to play with, and I rang his office, MCO Embassy in New York. And the woman said, I'm terribly sorry, sir, but Mr. Levine is not in his office at this moment. Can I give you his home number? Can you believe it? (laughs) So I rang this number and hello. I said, Mr. Levine, yeah. I'm (laughs) Jack McKenzie. I'm an actor. I said, I understand you're directing uh, Bridge Too Far. Well, Miriam Brickman's casting it and Richard Attenborough is directing it. I'm producing it. But uh, that's it. Bang. And down went the phone. So 
many years later, <laughs> I, got, I got the job with Sebastian and all the other boys. And this, I'm cutting into the story a bit too far on, but there was a huge... You remember the night they were, they were going to, the day they were going to blow up Arnhem? Yeah, yeah. What, the whole town? Yeah, was it von Rundstedt said, flatten Arnhem? Flatten Arnhem, yeah. yeah. The, whole, the whole of the Netherlands, I think, appeared in their cars in Deventer. And it was just solid traffic. And this Dutch policeman said to me, Jack, he said, we, we, we never directed traffic like this, but there's volume before, it's terrible. I said, give me your orange sleeves. I was back in Princess Street in Edinburgh. <laughs> so in the middle of this, this limousine pulled up, and it was Richard Attenborough and Sheila, his wife, and Joe Levine and his wife. And he said, darling, darling, this is Jack. He helped train our soldiers. And Jack McKenzie, and he, the window went down, and Joe Levine said, you're Jack McKenzie? I said, yes. I said, you realise you telephoned me at fucking four o'clock in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> He remembered you, the though. And the window went up, and off he went with a big smile on his face. There, I'll let you carry on. That's how I got, that's how I got the job. Oh, I've got man. the interview anyway. The magic of our business, isn't it wonderful? You know, oh, you, you get through to the producer, and he actually remembers you. Yeah, which you, which you, you know, you wouldn't. Well, you wouldn't if you phoned him at four in the morning. You're not going <laughs> to forget, forget you. you. It's brilliant. Wonderful story. How about you, Tim? How did you get going on it? Well, um, my agent phoned me up. I think I was doing um, sort of van driving or something and uh, said, go to the dance centre, uh, a war film directed by Richard Attenborough. Mm. And I thought I was going to meet Richard Attenborough sort of one-to-one. -one. So I went to the dance centre. I'd never been there before. Up the stairs, opened the door, and about 100 actors fell out through the door. <laughs> And it was like a cattle market. So I thought, well, okay, I better sort of edge my way in. So I literally had to edge my way in and shut the door. <laughs> and as the crowd began to thin out, this voice said, Oi, Tim, over here! And it was Dave Tomlin. And I'd done my first ever feature film with him, which was Barry Lyndon. Wow. And I had like six weeks on Barry Lyndon. There's only, you know... A lot of my scenes were cut, like many, many scenes, but I had six weeks sort of there working with scenes with Ryan O'Neill and all film. sorts of things, leading a cavalry charge and everything, all cut. But uh, I had ended up with a nice scene. But anyway, Dave Tomlin was there, and he, so he said, over here, and that's how I got into the film. Amazing. Through Dave Tomlin. He said, yeah. come on, you're on, <laughs> you know. And I was very honoured. Sebastian, how did you how did you make well, it on? Well, I I was working in Lindsay Anderson's company at the Lyric Theatre, where he was trying to do a form of repertory in the West End. So they would they they opened with a seagull and then did the bed before yesterday, and then it turned out that they didn't want to do repertory anymore, so it became a sort of normal West End run, which meant I had the days free. So I was um, walking around foils waiting for the show to start. And I saw A Bridge Too Far on the on the bookshelf. So I grabbed it, because I love military history, bought it, went and sat down, read it in, um, or read a large chunk of it in Velotti's, uh, uh, where I used to go and have my lunch. And I looked at the back of it, and it said, shortly to be made into a major film. Mm. So I thought, I've got to get into this. So I walked back to the theatre, and Miriam Brickman, who'd cast me in... Uh, the uh, Lyric Theatre Company was in the corridor 
And I said, oh, Miriam, I've just read this book, uh, 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 A Bridge Too Far, and they're going to turn it into a movie. Um, I don't suppose you know who's casting it, do you? And she said, I am. I thought, oh, wonderful. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I, I said, w would you consider me for it? She said, well, let me think, she said. Let me go and have a chat with Lindsay, because um, between you and me, uh, the it doesn't look like we're going to be carrying on for much longer with this run in the West End, so you might be available. So uh, she went up to Lindsay, came back and said, yes, Lindsay thinks you'd make a wonderful paratrooper. We could, we could put you up for it. So I went up for it. And as Tim says, you know, I went up to this thing in the dance centre and uh, it was full of actors. And I thought I was going to do an audition. I thought I was going to read for something. Mm -hmm. you, know, <laughs> you know, do, do a speech, <laughs> you know. So anyway, I got in this queue and Dickie Atmore was standing there going, you'd go and approach Dickie and you'd say, hello, Sir Richard, and he'd say, uh, thanks very much for coming or see you in Twickenham, mm -hmm. which, which was the next stage uh, of the casting. You know, he was whittling the 300 down that he had in the dance centre to about 100. So I was in this queue hoping he was going to say, uh, we'll see you in Twickenham. And he went, thanks very much for coming. And I thought, oh, no. Oh, dear. Wow. So, ow. Yeah. So I walked back. Lindsay asked me how I got on. And I said, I haven't got it. No, this, the, you know, said, you know, thanks for coming, which basically means fuck off. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, the next thing I know, I'm in my digs in Hampstead and I got a phone call from my agent saying, Oh, you're in. You're going to Holland. Like, what? And he said, no, no, no. He, he said, no, there must be a mistake. And he said, no, 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 you're in. You're definitely in. So I can only assume that Lindsay had a word with Miriam and uh, she got me in, which um, which was doesn't happen very often. But when it does, it's very welcome. And on that particular. Yeah. And on that particular occasion, I was so happy because. I really wanted to do the job <laughs> and, and, and it was the most wonderful experience I've had in my life. I mean, you know, it was, it was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in my life. Uh, so much so that my wife said, can you stop talking about it, please? And turn, <laughs> yeah, and turn it, turn it into a book. That's right. <laughs> it was the first mega movie we'd been involved in, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. and also it was about what our, parents went through wasn't it i think that's oh, why yes, yes. it meant so much to us it was like we got to get this right dickie showed us the film theirs is the glory we met so many guys who'd fought in the battle and you think we have got to do our damnedest to get it as right as we possibly can and and i think the spirit was there and as uh dear old shakespeare said all things are ready if our minds be so and we were up for it well, talk about arse licking. I, I didn't arse lick, but I made sure my boots were all polished when I went for the interview at the dance centre. Can I add an esoteric level to sure. it? Because yeah. I was Church of England and used to go to church every Sunday with my granny. And uh, during that very embarrassing moment when the vicar, this is Church of England, mm. says, and now let us pray... And my brother and I used to hope and pray that he would be struck by lightning and say something really inspirational and cosmic and magic. <laughs> and so we'd hang on his long, long, they all do the same pause. And now let us pray <laughs> for the Queen, Prince Charles and the royal family 
and all those brave men that lost their lives at Arnhem. Oh, really? And it turned out that our vicar had been a padre at Arnhem. Oh, wow. So it's the only prayer that I've ever consciously known to have been sort of um, come true. Yeah. Yeah. All my childhood, I was praying for all those brave men that lost their lives at Arnhem. And there I was playing one of them. Playing one of them. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, I, I strode out to the dance centre and I go, what happened? I, in the, like you were in the queue and I had these lovely shiny boots on. I thought, I'll get it all done. So it's the first thing you look at. And he looked at me and he looked up at me and said, see you later, darling. And that, Is that what Dickie <laughs> said to you? Yeah. And I walked, I walked across Trafalgar Square and thought, have I got the job? And then my then agent rang me. She said, darling, you've got the job. You're off to Holland on the 5th of May. Woo! It was great. <laughs> <laughs> you remember the date? Well, that was Liberation Day in Holland, wasn't it? Yeah. Do you remember who shared your cab with you to the airport? Do you remember, or did you get your own cab to the airport? Oh, I took my own. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, I took my own cab, cab to the airport. Yeah. Oh, right. you, you you went there under your own steam. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I ended up going with Big Frank. You know, Frank Mugen. Yes, Frank Mugen. He was six foot five, <laughs> could head a ball like most people. Yeah. You know, as hard as most people could kick it. The Scouser. Oh, oh, he talked like that all the time, didn't he? And he, and he, yeah. he couldn't stop moving his hands when he talked. And we tried to hold his hands once, and he couldn't say anything. Once we, yeah, once we held his hands, he couldn't say a word. Because he, <laughs> he needed to sort of use his hands to help him to talk. No, that's rotten, actually. Yeah. No, it's, this, it's, this motley <laughs> route arrived at uh, Schiphol. And it, nobody knew anybody. I didn't know anybody at all. I, I wasn't really in the theatre, you know. I, I, I come to London in 1970. I was a detective, for God's sake. <laughs> I knew nothing about acting. I still know nothing about acting. And uh, this crowd, we, we, we got on two coaches, didn't we? Yeah, well, well at Schiphol. At Schiphol, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, well, I found the whole flight absolutely terrifying. I'd never flown before. Oh, right, I'd, yeah. I'd have, made, I'd have made a very good paratroop because I would have jumped out of the fucking thing. You know, if <laughs> Given half a chance, you know what I mean? Somebody, somebody said, what was your first plane ride? I said, mine. Yeah. Oh. Go. I said, out the back door. So yeah, how old were you all the time? <laughs> how old was I? I was yeah. 21. I was 21 when I went. And how old were you, Tim? Um, uh, 76. I'm 79 now, so uh, I would have been, what, in my 30s? 34. 30? 34. I was 34, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Well, I think I was about the same. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're both yeah. war babies, both of us. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that I mean, that adds more weight to it, doesn't it? You know, you're you're making this movie about an event that re- that happened to your parents' generation. Mm. So was that was that always in your my, minds when you were, you know, well, my, my making folks were killed film? during the war. My father was buried at sea. He was in the Arctic convoys. Oh my! And my mother was involved in the, the munitions industry. She was a war worker. And uh, obviously she had absorbed all the toxins and poisons in the factory in our dear in Ayrshire. And she died giving birth to me and my twin. My twin wasn't. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So uh, I was uh, cast out. But uh, my grandparents, my my father's parents, brought me up. Yes, I was brought up by my mother's mother. But my father was with the Free French. He was French. Oh, right, yeah. And... uh, Joined, came, got got to England, um, heard the call, came over here. I remember vaguely meeting him because uh, my parents lived in France before the war. They were artists, trendy up bohemian artists. 
trendy place to live. My mother fell in love with a local lad, and then the Germans came in. I landed in Portugal in 1942 while my mother was trying to escape. Mm. And uh, then my father joined us and then immediately joined up, was a liaison officer with the American army and landed at Omaha and went all the way through. And he was in Narvik with the Chasseur al really? Wow. Where was he? So he was, he was um, a bit of a, uh, a legend in mm. our minds. And mm. I didn't really meet him till I was 11. And he was great. And, some, uh, some, something to live up to, isn't it? When he oh, yeah. turn, totally, when he got a, yeah. a dad who's done something like that. Well, my, yeah. my, old, my old pop was a tough old ex-Royal Scot, and he knew I was going to go down the wrong path. He said, uh, how old are you next week, son? Fifteen. There's your ticket. Where to? Deal. Where's Deal? In Kent. <laughs> Royal Marines Barracks. Uh, and I live 300 yards from the front door. <laughs> this this colour sounds like, what's your name? Mackenzie? That's a nickname. Get in there. So you all make it to Holland. And so talk us through, like to become an APA member, talk us through that. How does that work? They had, they had military advisors for the stars. There was John Waddy was the military advisor. He was ex-1 power, head of the SAS and so on. Hmm. And then they had the military advisors for uh, Robert Redford and Gene... Hackman, Tony Hopkins, and so on. But we had this great company of actors who were going to be playing all the different roles. And uh, we, we had to be, had to get ourselves organized into a military, you know, thinking mechanism. And I, I offered up my services. I'm a, I'm a Marine, and uh, Sean Curry, sadly now gone, he was in the guards. And uh, we got together with the stunt guys. And um, you all willingly joined in. So we used to have, uh, you know, up in the morning, very early, get ourselves made up, black camouflage smocks, tin helmets, all that stuff. Into well, a they, Yeah, they realised they, realized they couldn't get local extras to look oh. like soldiers. And we learnt it. We learnt yeah. with the square bashing and the arms yeah. drill. We learnt it like a dance routine. Exactly. And we had a couple of weeks square bashing and we, we saw the whole thing as like learning a dance. And we enjoyed we enjoyed it too. Mm. We enjoyed the. You know, I enjoyed the training. Yeah, I've, yeah. The, it was the schoolboy stuff. Yeah, you know, I was brought up on war movies. You know, That's so and started, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we sort of knew the Brits we of a sort knew who our heroes were and knew who we wanted yeah. to be like. But the mm. Americans all had even teeth. Have got well fed during the war. They looked terrific. But the, the Brits had broken teeth, no teeth at all, broken noses, cauliflowers. And we fitted that mould. We were just like that. Yeah. And the compliment came from John Waddy's wife, Anne, sadly now gone, but we, it was doing a break in filming and we were all relaxing between the shots. And she said, you know something, they look just like my, uh, John's soldiers. Wow. And so did General Frost. He said the same thing. But he went to, uh, obviously, Ustabek, but he saw all of us and said, you look just like our boys. So it was a yeah. great compliment. He and said he, he, he also said, he, said that we were as ready for combat in the three weeks as any of their soldiers after six months. My word. Which was a great compliment. Mm. And Amazing. also the reception by the Dutch public was just out of this world, wasn't it? You're doing square bashing. So what else what else was involved yeah. in the training? So was it weapons handling and, and well well we 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 had a uh, we used to start off the day with a run round a lake yeah. where 
some, not many, but some actors used to pretend to faint halfway around. <laughs> It was very hot. <laughs> it was very, it was very hot. Yes, to be, to be fair, to be fair. Um, I, I remember I was. It was my first day of training. I was the youngest. I have to say, I was mm. 20, twenty-one years old, and I I found it quite comfortable because I've been working on a farm and all that. I was getting quite fit then, and I thought I'm going to try and win this. And I was right behind Christopher Good, who played. Uh, Major Cornish, well, well, Major, Ma- Major, Major Carlisle, that's right. And he was representing, actually, Major Tate and Walter, who who, who was at the battle. Uh, mm. But um, there was a hill at the end of it, mm. and I thought, I'll because I've got short little legs and he's got long ones, I thought I'll sprint up the hill and take him on the hill. So I did that. I got into first place. I ran down the other side, and then he, we had to run down the hill and then do a forward roll. And then go over an assault course. So I thought, right, okay. My cross country was never that good at school. No, I didn't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and you didn't get to wear neither was mine. during, did no, you? Neither <laughs> was mine. And uh, so, so I, I, my, my helmet didn't fit properly. It was banging up and down. I didn't know how to do the strap up and everything. So I took my helmet off and did the forward roll. And then this bloke ran up with a parachute regiment tie and said, he said, put your helmet on properly. Go back and do it again. So I... It was Colonel Waddy. So I thought, yeah. I, I nearly told him to fuck off, but I thought, all right then. <laughs> so, so I put my, well, I did a forward roll, by which time about 15 blokes had passed me. But um, but no, we used to do, the training was actually... And, regular, pretty, regular, and also arms training. Mm, it was yeah. very, it was Billy Elmore, who was the armourer. Yeah. And he, he, he shot, and I, I knew, but the thing is that many of these guys had never even picked up a rifle. So yeah, we course. had these ancient Lee Enfields. We had brain guns and stain guns and 45 automatic and the Piet gun, the infamous Piet gun. And the rifles uh, were from the First World War, weren't they? They were the se- and Second World War. Yeah, 1914, they yeah. Old, yeah, they were the, the Lee Enfield Mark II. But That's the thing right. is, you had to explain that even a blank can kill you. Mm. Yeah. So, and learning to fire the rifle away away from the person you were or the Im- imaginary person you were firing at. So it was fraught with disaster if 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 people didn't learn how to handle them. Mm. And that's the well, answer. I remember Bill hanging up. He hung a hair from that's the right. tree. That's yeah. right. And we had with a with a Bren gun. He stood about I don't know ten yards, quite yeah. a distance back. Yeah. And we had bulleted blanks. I was a Bren gunner, oh, so I yeah. knew what I did. And he shot one single shot at the hare, and it the whole thing nearly disintegrated yeah. to show yeah. us yeah. how dangerous sure. what we were a doing was. Blank was. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. the wooden had to be man. on each other. Yeah. You know? yeah. The very yeah. interesting thing happened there. We talked about you know looking like soldiers and living like soldiers. We were because we, we were all living in, in uh, battle dress and so on and smocks. And it was very interesting. I noticed that after the couple of weeks, and we did the square bashing and the arms training. When you guys were all relaxing, you didn't like just have a fag in it. They were cleaning their weapons. <laughs> that was very funny. Yeah. Out came the oil bottle and the pull through. You were, I remember watching you guys. I thought that's what soldiers do. Yeah. Because you, you're, I mean, it happened to me on Secret Army. My bloody stain gun jammed, as they all do, you know. Yeah. But, uh, everyone made sure the rifles and the machine guns all worked. But mm. I thought it was quite an, an interesting I, touch. I actually managed to get to the stage where I practiced enough. That I could get around a second off with a Liam, oh, which uh, I think is pretty good going. That's Firing really from the game. shoulder, yeah. Instead of work, instead of using the thumb and forefinger to work the bolt, use yeah. the flat of the palm, knock it back up, push it back, push the round into the breech, and pull the trigger with your middle finger as opposed yeah. to your index. Yeah. And that, that, that's very good for laying down fire in a general direction. 
Mm. If you want, if you want to give covering well, fire. Timothy Moran shot, shot me dead. Actually, who did? Tim I Moran did several times in the film. <laughs> did he? How do you manage that? <laughs> when you went there, he said, "It's the bleeding general." You know, when, when what? We and were, his stem went off. Did it? <laughs> we, no, we were the Germans. <laughs> oh, you were the Germans. <laughs> you loosed off a shot, and I'd gone. You know, but uh, I was also shot dead uh, on the beach uh, at Nijmegen, and I think I was shot dead somewhere else. So you're always free for other work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, as a thing, it's about being dead and going home. Like, explain, Sebastian, explain a KLM job. It's mentioned in the book. A, K- a KLM job was basically the unforgivable crime of losing your weapon. Right. If you mm. lost your weapon, you were on the aeroplane home. Mm. Absolutely no question. Because it was the biggest sanction that they could employ to make sure we mm. behaved ourselves because we were having such a wonderful time that the thought of going home was just absolute like you know dying and going to hell you know I and mean, it was like no we've got to stay out here till the very end and a klm job was if you lost your weapon you 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 were you were off the shoot and um quite right because the uh the, there were terrorists uh the south malaccan terrorists yeah were operating at the time uh, and they were paranoid about the arms truck being hijacked because there was enough in there to arm a whole regiment. I mean, you had, you know, full working MG40 machine guns, uh, Schmeisers, the bloody lot, you know, Brownings, everything. So that you'd fall asleep with your sling tied to your, 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 um... yeah, I I got, I got, I really didn't want to go home. I didn't want my weapon to be stolen, but I was knackered as well. Did many end up going home? Did, Did anyone lose their weapons? No, nobody went home. No, nobody went. Right. Not for that reason. Not not for losing a weapon. <laughs> right, right. The other reason for the KLM job was if you were featured. Ah, of yes. Course. Us, us course. and the NPA, we, if, we, if, we, if, we, if we got featured, they couldn't use you in anything else. So it makes sense. the bird home. Yeah. Well, no, I, w- I was featured when I rescued Sean Connery. Yeah. And after that, they said, stay away from the camera. Yeah. So what I did, because I thought this is, that the, the whole exercise is, is also a very interesting game mm. of how um, how can you participate in the film so only your friends and family recognize you so in the liberating of that little village I was the only one oh, that, I that that. amongst the extras I who had she had a little girl I said can I borrow your little girl and I put her on my shoulders it's called flag waving yeah. so there I am following Tony Hopkins around and that's me. And yes, I heard later, because I had a girlfriend there, that that girl became a big celebrity because of that one scene. Oh, wow. She oh, the whole of her that. life. Yeah. That to that. But, that little girl was and then after, on, after I rescued Sean Connery, I thought I used to go into makeup and put on moustaches <laughs> and disguises. <laughs> and there's a, there's a scene where Sean Connery is lecturing the men. Yeah. And I'm very carefully in profile so that I knew the camera could see me discreetly with all the other people smoking a cigarette. Mm. And then there's another scene in the Hartenstein where I die. I'm covered in blood. Laurence Olivier comes over and I just close my eyes and die. <laughs> so I sort of planted myself <laughs> all over the place to overcome this notion that <laughs> stay away from the camera. And, me, and, me and Matt, when we, when we recorded the episode with Al Murray, we mentioned you, Tim. We didn't know it was you at the time, Tim. But Yeah, we did, actually. Yeah. We talked about that scene. I always, I always liked that scene. I like the way you charge past the, uh, the panzer. 
Well, it was interesting because it came up at very short notice. I was put on that, given that part. And um, I had, first of all, I, I got ready. I thought, what the fuck am I, what am I doing? And they told me. And they said, what, you, you're going to come out of this alleyway. You've got a cigarette case, a silver cigarette case. You hold it out. This was the guy called the visualizer was telling me what I was going to do. He was a sort of, the, the, he did the drawings for, for the for the um, screen thing, and so I had I, I thought, oh yeah, that's a nifty idea. Yeah, that's good. Then somebody else came over and said, no, Tim, you're going to walk down there and you're going to do that boff the. And then just before the take, I think it was Dave Tomlin or Steve said, Tim, get behind that fucking tree. There's a German there. Cut his throat and then <laughs> run through and kill Doug. And him, and they're all the stuntmen in Amazing. front. Amazing. And that was it. <laughs> Run straight yeah. into the camera. That seems quite <laughs> as well. That... So, but that, yeah, that scene yeah. you're in, Tim, is really interesting because you're wearing a Staffordshire Regiment cat badge. So it's really good that the that's where the film has its moments where it, it showcases the other regiment, like the Gliderborne troops that were there. Yes. You yeah. mean I had? Yeah, you, you did. Mean yeah. I had yeah, a... you were wearing a... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't have a clue. South really, Staff, yeah. Doing, yeah, South Staff. I was doing all... I was doing Audie Murphy acting as far as I was concerned. <laughs> With a South Staff badge on. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. Just... <laughs> yes. And some of these guys came across and they, they loved it. And even I in a German uniform like this, guys from Staffordshire Regiment, they, were, they, weren't, they weren't as friendly as you when I was in a camp. You know? <laughs> you, you're talking about the cigarette case, Tim. That's quite interesting because did, do you know that Colonel Waddy, his brother, was at the battle? Hmm. And he was killed, sadly, at the battle, Peter Waddy. Uh, and he'd knocked out a couple of German tanks by... Um, uh, they're, they're, apparently, they were queuing up to, to attack the bridge, and uh, he managed to sneak down the flanks and got himself in, a, in an attic and, or, or an upper window and dropped mines in, in through the open mm. tank hatches. He knocked a couple out like that. But they, 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 they got him in the end. He got killed with a, by a mortar. But his his father, their, their father, Peter's and John's father, was um, CO uh, was a colonel of the I think it was the Somerset Light Infantry, and he gave mm. he gave Peter his cigarette case, mm. wow. uh, and it, it it went you know obviously Peter Peter was killed he had the cigarette case on him anyway years after the battle he had his name inscribed in it to uh, to. I think it was Richard Waddy was his father, um, mm. Colonel Waddy's father, and it had been presented to him, this uh, cigarette case. And years after, Colonel Waddy went back for the reunion at Arnhem, the annual reunion, and someone handed him that cigarette case. Really? Wow. Isn't that extraordinary? Somebody had found it. Yeah. Somebody, somebody had yeah. found it after the battle on, 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 um, on Peter Waddy and, and gave it to John. It's incredible. Which, well, which I, yeah. I think is a wonderful story. <clears throat> Yeah, there were so many rather poignant memories like yeah, that. One. Yeah, yeah. Like, for example, going to Oosterbeek and the yeah. taxi driver wouldn't take the money for the fare. That's right. We well, going to see the graves. It was the bus driver wouldn't take the money. He the said, bus driver, yeah, yeah. yeah. He said, you're English, we, you, we don't charge you yeah. if yeah. you're going to Oosterbeek Cemetery, which made wow. us made me feel rather humble. I thought, you know, that... Well, uh, my second cousin's buried there, James Cass. He was a medic. That's we right. We didn't find him the last time. But, but we, we, we tried to find him, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Mm. But it, it's, it's, and we so, met Colonel Waddy there, didn't we? We did. That's right, because he knew all, he knew every single name, because he was yeah. a regular visitor there. You know. Yeah. 
we had returned to this this wonderful barracks we had, which was an old old orphanage, and it, it was very Dickensian, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the conditions, but we we like good soldiers. We lived it. We lived it through. It was all right. Yes, we we tried to work out a roster of engaging in amorous activity with the locals. Well, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> going going back to Oosterbeck, I I met a local girl uh, when they were liberating Arna, mm. and she was, I was an extra, and we were doing crowd control. Anyway, it turned out she was an artist and lived in Ada. And I didn't go on the coach to Oosterbeck. I had my own transport. I had a Ford Anglia van, which I mm. drove out there. Was that a Ford Anglia? And that was my, my second home. It was bright red, number Woo 54, W-O-O. It got known all over Holland. It became famous because I could wind it up. I could crank start it. <laughs> and I had the whole of Davon to once, all the kids watching me starting it. But anyway, going back to the after we had done the crossing of the Rhine, I was absolutely knackered, and mm. Ninka, was the my girlfriend, had had come had come to watch that filming. And driving back in the van, I said, "I've got to have a kip." And she was with her sister, and she said, "Why don't you come home with us to Ada?" And I saw Osterbeck, and I thought, "Ah, oh, this is the time to go." So I was on my own with her, and it's the only time in my life where I looked literally. At one gravestone, and there were hundreds. Mm. Uh, so and so, so and so, age seventeen. 17 yeah. and my whole stomach welled up. It's the only time in my life where I cried uncontrollably mm. for the universe, as it were. You know, yes, it just yes. overwhelmed me totally. Mm. Um, and I don't think I would have done that had I been on the bus. I was, of course. Because I was alone. Yes. Yeah. And and doing the film, of course. Yeah. yeah. That was part of it. Some of know. the inscriptions were very moving. But oh, one in, another one from another very young para, it was uh, um, something about um, sad to have only known you for such a short while. Yeah. I think he was wow. 16 and a half or something like that, or 17. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, and it was, uh, did you meet the old boy who looked after the graves? No. He's an ex para. Oh, was really? He? Yeah, he used to whistle Tipperary as he was cleaning up, the, doing the grass. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, Matt, have you got you got some questions you you wanted to ask? Yeah, yeah. You're speaking a little bit about the some of the some of the big sequences there, and I was wondering. What what it was like to be involved in that, and how were they choreographed? So how does it all for, so like flow? That's what I always wondered. That was the brilliance of Richard Attenborough's team, as he said. I'm, I'm a giant puppeteer, and I pull I have everything working at the yeah. same time. And of course, the first assistants, second, third, they, they choreographed us on the ground, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. As I come back to David, saying we covered in radio, saying lie down and fight the fucking traffic, nothing was allowed to get past. <laughs> That's right. But they also they also had many cameras, and I remember it was one day under the bridge when I was playing a German, and it, we were doing unarmed combat, mm. and Dave Walker was my my combat partner. He was a para, and I was right. a German, and you know we learned all this stuff at drama school. We learned stage fighting and all that kind of stuff, and how to fall. And I did Aikido before. So I knew how to fall. You and I fought in the return and, of the same. And 
<laughs> and um, anyway, so we worked it out and I said, right, I'm on top of you, Dave, you know, I'm, I'm the German and I'm about to sort of throttle you, whatever. And then I suddenly get an attack of fear because I thought it would be very interesting to show a moment of cowardice, mm -hmm. a man reacting intuitively and then realizing that what he was doing and then sort of backing away mm. and we had peter mcdonald was our cameraman so we had our particular cameraman filming that sequence so we worked it out dave said yeah that's great and i said while i'm as i'm about to sort of run away back to my lines in a realization of what i'm doing and panic you shoot me in the back and i die and then I'll do the slow crawl, like in an Eisenstein, like in an Eisenstein movie. So there I was crawling along, having been shot in the back, but I couldn't hear when they said cut. So I, lift, I lifted my head. I was getting very near to Peter's camera, <laughs> looked, looked up, and there it was, and I burst out laughing, and it came up in the rushes the following <laughs> evening. And they all said, that's fucking Tim, because they couldn't realise, they didn't realise who it was. So I don't, know, I don't know if it was in the film or not, but we had great fun, and, and the support of the cameraman, Dave, David and I, sort of working out this little work of sort of combat art <laughs> for the cinema. Well, I was thinking, well, I had all these guys playing Yanks, and I said, look, you're Americans. If you fall over, if you get injured, if you get hurt, if you smoke, whatever, whatever happens, make it sound American, you know? <laughs> and so often I said, come on, get your, get your ass up the hill, move your fucking asses, come on, get the fuck. And this guy turned around and said, I'm going as fast as I can. I've broken all my nails. I'm expected to work here. <laughs> 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 Rich, Rich, oh my God. He said, what are we going to do there with Robert Redford in two days' time? <laughs> and uh, on the day, they were wonderful. Yes. We, we, all we, the cues. We, we had a second unit that used to do all the action sequences, directed yeah. by Bert Bat, wasn't it? Bert Bat, yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, and and we'd go to Amersfoort, which was a big sort of Dutch army, well, a big Dutch army training ground there, and they, they had everything there. And we, we, we turned up, so we had to be 30 core on this particular day, and half of us had to be Germans. So anyway, on this particular day, I, I had to be a German, uh, uh, facing this creeping barrage of artillery that was coming towards us, and then engaging the British infantry as they came off the trucks. You probably remember the sequence. Yeah. Yes, I do. So, yeah. so, 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 so anyway, the um, second assistant director or third assistant or whatever said, now look, said, uh, I can't remember who was, no, it was James, James Waldroper was with me on that, and he said, he said, now, now look, you two, it's fucking dangerous. He said, there's explosives everywhere all mm. over the place and they're all going to be set off so set off so whatever you do do not move stay where you are this shit's going to fly everywhere but just stay in your trench so i went okay so it started action the tanks turned up started firing with their barrels you know this creeping barrage of artillery started coming towards us explosives going bang Bang. I mean, I mean, there were massive explosives. There were big explosions. Tons of full of earth. Tons <laughs> of full of earth. But, you know, you'd, you'd have your tin hat on and you get, you know, pebbles landing on your head. And ding, 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 ding. Yeah, rat rattling on your helmet. And it was getting really close. And I have to say, I completely lost my nerve. And I ran. 
which is just what you're not supposed to do. I thought, I'm getting out of here. Fuck this. And I, I just I just ran. And so did James. He picked up on my panic as well. And he ran as well. And he ended up standing on an explosive and it blew him 15 it blew feet. It, yeah. wow. it blew him 15 feet up into the air. Christ. And he landed on his back and... He his uniform was on fire. Oh my god! And to do to do him to do him credit, he stayed completely still, while I just went <laughs> off as far as far as I could away from all that shit. Sebastian, I was I was right with you. I came off the lorry at the same time, and I remember Johnny Johnny what's it the the special effects man. They they placed the landmines and they had markers there. Yeah. And we had to clock where the markers were. And before the take, they took the markers away and they said, just remember, don't. And there were little mounds of earth dotted around the place. I forgot. And we were on action. We all charged through. And I was behind Jimmy Wardroper. And I saw him literally about to jump. And he did jump on it. And as Sebastian said, did a somersault in the air. His British Army surge was completely black and singed with <laughs> was he carrying a peart at the time what that is in that is in the yeah. film yeah that is the very first time you see a peart in the whole film 15 feet in the air with a peart it's incredible i i wonder whether that was a stunt man but that yeah that's no 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 that that was a genuine accident oh yeah oh no that was a genuine in british uniform for that scene and said you were in german no, I, I, I was in yeah. German. I, it wasn't James who was with me then. It must have been someone else. But but whoever it was, we both lost wow. our bottle. Uh, that, it's an amazing I, I mean, sequence. Thought of being, it really is. You know, well, the thought of being those. under real art, real artillery fire yeah. is just fucking horrendous. I mean, you, you might not have yeah. live rounds fired over your head in Dartmoor. I can tell you <laughs> yeah. the same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how they stood it. How you, you, you know, ground your courage to the sticking place and bloody well stayed where you were supposed to stay. I don't know how they did it. So uh, so talking about um, kit and uh, equipment and, and, and uniforms, we usually have a segment on the show called The Alley Tally where we, where we pick a, a piece of kit that we like from the movie. Um, but yeah. we thought today we'd do it a little bit ad hoc and we, we just want to know, like, you know, what was your favourite bit of kit to wear or what, what, what gun did you like firing the best, you know? I loved my Lee Enfield 303. I thought it was a wonderful weapon. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I yeah, go on. Because it was it was just so easy to fire. It never it, the 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 Mausers would jam. You couldn't feed the round into the breech properly. The the, the Lee Enfield was beautifully designed, and mm. um, I preferred it to the Garand. I mean, it did fire the Garand occasionally, but that that used to go ping, you know. And yeah. as Colonel yeah. Waddy said, you know, yeah. that that would give away your position if you were. You know the trouble with that was that the you know mm. the, the cartridge clipper fly out and everybody didn't know where you were, um, but I, I I like the Lee Enfield personally. Mm. Well, I was given a brand gun because they said in the rehearsals or whenever they said I was the only one who could actually run and carry a brand gun all and fall with it, kick its legs open and fire it. And they said it was always miners, my short stocky guys who were brand gunners. Um, so I was that that was and that is the most amazing weapon. I mean, whether yeah. you fire single shot or the the whole lot, it's just unbelievably lethal. I mean, it's it's just oh, hair raising. And it was it was very, very deliberate when it fired. It, da, da, yeah. da, da, 
That's that, right. That, 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 it's a very noticeable sound. Yeah. I, I, was, I was number two on an MG40 on the drop sequences, and that's a revolting weapon. I mean, that just is like a malevolent sheet tearing. You yeah, know, it's it got just, quite a sound to it, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's just so fast rate mm. of fire. It's got. But the American rifles were very strange because they were very light. And, well, the Garand. And, and, and oh, nifty, the M1. What were they? M, M, what are they? The carbine. Oh, the M1, yeah. The yeah. One. yeah. 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 Up, up at Nijmegen Bridge, I, <laughs> I was, it, was, it was so funny. to be in charge of a Spandau. And it had belts and belts of ammunition, you know. And um, the, at the end of the bridge, it was, somebody actually lived in a house at the end of the bridge. And it was a Sunday morning, if I remember. And we, we used to say, gun firing, just to give it a couple of rounds to make sure that everyone was going in. Gun firing. And this, it just, it's like, it was like a vomit, the, the barrel of this weapon. And the guy who lived in the house at the end of the, the, end of the bridge, he could see him go, oh, fuck me, not on a Sunday. <laughs> Bang. <laughs> The strange thing of that bridge was an old boy standing there, and he said, "He said they were on the wrong side, you know." And I said, "Pardon?" He said, "They were on the you know who it was? General Walter Herzog, the ninth, tenth." What he he was there? He come. Wow! Watching the filming. He said, "He said the British was tigers. We had the tigers. The British. We could have ruled the world." (laughs) (laughs) My God. Lucky Colonel Waddy didn't see him. Yeah. So, um, so I know, I know, Matt um, didn't have chance to read the the book um, fully before the episode came came around, um, but I, I have to ask um, to Sebastian to tell the story about the Piet for him because I know that he's going to absolutely love hearing about it. Rob has told me about it, so it it sounds brilliant. But I I, I think our listeners are going to love to hear this. There was an assistant director on the film who was related to a very important person. I won't use his correct name because it was a bit of an embarrassing story. But um, he was one of the assistant directors and he was dying to direct a sequence. So he nagged Dickie Attenborough and Dickie Attenborough said, okay, we need... Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST couple of pickup shots we need a shot of we need a shot of a of a couple of guys firing a brand some lee enfields going off and then appears so that, that that's what we need so it, it is what they call a pickup shot they just pick it up and shove it shove it into rushes later mm. so i was part of this little unit that was going to do this and um 
uh, Dave Tomlin, the first assistant director, who was a wonderful man, absolutely wonderful man. God rest his soul, because mm. he's not with us anymore, sadly. Uh, but he said, yeah. um, he said, now look, he said, uh, you're going to fire this, Jeffrey. Now, don't fire it at the camera. Do you understand? Don't fire it at the camera. <laughs> he said, but there's a, but there's, there's a, he's American. There's a piece of, um, <laughs> we got a piece of unbreakable glass in front of the camera. He said, no, 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 don't, don't fire it in front of the camera. And you boys as well, with your rifles and all that, don't you fire at the camera. It's a cap, that camera's black, fucking expensive. If that gets broken, you know, it's like, a cardinal mm -hmm. sin to break a camera on a film. It's like, you know, yeah. the worst mm -hmm. sin you can commit. So anyway, David went off to shoot something else. And this uh, assistant director went, I got to get a great shot. I'm going get, to get, get, get the pier shell going right down the camera lens. But it's not going to hit the camera because it's going to bounce off the unbreakable glass. So I thought, oh, fuck it, no, 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 don't. He's, he's going to deliberately go against David's instructions. So he fired it. It went straight through the glass, straight <laughs> down the filters in the camera, and the fins of the thing mm -hmm. was, uh, of the shell, was sticking out the back of the camera. Wow. And, the, <laughs> and the camera went, ah, fucking hell, because he had his eyepiece, went jam and punched him right in the eye, ended up with a massive black eye. And the camera is completely shafted, completely broken, with his shell sticking out of it. So um, Dave Tomlin, uh, the, the first assistant director, ran away and hid <laughs> because uh, Dave Tomlin was furious. Whereas he came back, he said he saw the camera, he went absolutely nuts, went looking for him, and he, he stayed well away for a long time after that. But... Um, he forgave him in the end, but only just, I think. It's it's about the worst thing you can do is break a camera. Well, I can't even imagine that. That would have been mm. that would have been a great shot if the if you know it hadn't broken the camera. Fair play. But yeah, you you can't go against the first assistant director, can you yeah. really, when he tells you directly not to do it? But wow. You're 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 supposed you're supposed to get great shots without breaking the yeah. camera. That's the yeah. whole point. Yeah. That's the whole point of yeah. <laughs> One of the great examples of presence of mind was the Dutch tank crew when they all got pissed. Oh, unbelievable. They got through two or three crates of bloody gros. Then they climbed into their tanks and drove <laughs> right through the set. Yeah. And, uh, and Dickie Abra burst into tears, didn't he? he... <laughs> and and Peter, Peter McDonald, he, 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 he grabbed the camera and shot from the shoulder, this yeah. tank plunging through the... Wow. And they used wow. it. Oh, they used, they it. used yeah. it, yeah. It was a great shot. And, uh, Oh, yeah. These guys were pissed as rats in this tank. They were, I mean, they, 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 this was Dutch Army uh, National Servicemen, and they were sitting in this tank, yeah. and they had really long hair. They had smoked a lot of joints. Smoking well. split <laughs> and, oh, and drinking. Yeah. They were pissed, stoned, and look, they were just like oddball in <laughs> Kelly's Heroes, yeah. Ex Nothing except the tank vibes. was full mm. of them. Was was full of yeah. full of uh, oddballs in Kelly's yeah. heroes, and we thought, what a bunch of wankers! We thought, fucking hell, <laughs> I'm steer well away from this tank. This, you know, this could go. So, so anyway, Dave Tomlin said, right, okay, we want the tank to go forward, turn left onto the main road. We want the German APA, which was us, uh, going brr, 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 the windows. Then we want the British mm. APA to come out and engage them hand to hand. 
uh, and uh, we all had real bayonets on our our weapons. They weren't rubber mm-hmm. ones; they were proper pig stickers. And, you know, they were they, they yeah. were, you know. And yeah, I thought probably. I thought this could go so badly wrong. I thought this could go really badly wrong. So anyway, they went okay, action, bang, and instead of going to the end of the road, he went straight through the house, dragged the whole house, and it had six weeks worth of filming that needed to be done in that. And it was it was all dressed on the inside. All the art directors and production designers have been in there and put grandfather clocks in and paintings and mirrors and dressing tables, bedspreads. It was all like a beautifully ready location to film in. <laughs> and it was completely wrecked by this tank. And, and Dickie Atmara saw this and he, he just went, <laughs> He just burst into tears, Dickie, didn't he? And, and, and David Tomlin went, fuck here oh. now. And, and we, we were in the um, Pelican Bar that night having a drink. And David came in and he said, I'm going to get pissed tonight, lads. He said, I want you to make sure I get home. Can you stop drinking? So we stopped drinking and waited until he got pissed and he got absolutely paralytic. And then we loaded him into a cab, drove him back to his hotel, took him to his room. He went to bed. And he got up the next day, absolutely fine, on time. Fresh wow. as a date, that's Fresh right, yeah. yeah. But he needed that downtime after that happened. But it was a very fortuitous era. My God, it's, and it, looks, and it was fantastic, fantastic shot. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great shot, but there's about another six weeks' worth of filming needed to be done in there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's the same with the parachute drop on Gigglesheide, remember? Yeah, yeah. But when Belgian paras and I think two para coming in in Dakotas, and we had uh, Ryan O'Neill in a harness dangling above the, the, the dropping zone, high as a kite. Yeah, it was, literally. We were all high as kites as well, because we had to do the pickup shots from the land, and we had our yeah. parachutes were catching the wind, and we were sort of... Um, yeah. To, to bog- tobogganing <laughs> across the heather <laughs> with, the, with the parachutes. Oh, I wasn't doing that. And our backpacks wow. sort of sliding across the heather yeah. and then hiding under our parachutes, avoiding action and smoking a few joints. Yeah. It was one hell of a well, day, he, that. He, he had a few before he went up there and he, and he came in and got smiling. I, I remember we got hold of a oh. camouflage net once and uh, we used to like to have a little snuzzle session in the middle of the day because we were up till three o'clock in the morning hitting the nightclubs uh and then get to bed at three in the morning and up again at six to go to work and by the time midday came around we were absolutely knackered so anyway dave walker uh and james i think and norman found this uh this camouflage netting so this is perfect perfect for snuzzling norman said we'll have a we'll, so so we always get under this uh, camouflage net cover it in leaves and have a kit and uh, we did Jack Dearlove who was supposed to be looking after us going past where are those fuckers gone he said where are they and he's walking right right next to us going what the fucking hell are they we're under this camouflage net having a kit and and we, we fell asleep and then one day we woke up and there were tanks parked all around us. We, thought, we never did that again. Yeah, we could have been squashed. Yeah, <laughs> eat, yeah, yeah. I love Jack Deere, lovely. We were all, all in the dropping zone. And we're all been milling about, you know, as, as parachutes are coming down and the vehicles and people were going, ah, 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 all that sort of stuff in front yeah. of me. And Jack Deere loves 
direction to us. All right, lads, act like, like you're acting. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> he was he was in the Desert Rats during the war, Jack. Yeah, yeah and he, was, he went yeah, ashore yeah. at Salerno. Wow. He was one of the first ones into Rome. Wow. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah. He, he said yeah. I was one of the first ones yeah. into Rome. He said we got there and there was no fucker there when we got there. <laughs> the, Ger the Germans had all gone. But he he he, he was in recce. He was in a reconnaissance uh, outfit. Yeah. So they were in a Bren gun carrier uh, ahead of the main force. And he was one of the first into Rome. And he said it's terrible. I think there was four in a Bren gun carrier or three or no, I think it was four in a brand. It was you, you're the expert, sir? Mm. How many in a brand gun carrier? Four or three? I, I never. I well, never the, normally, it's a crew of about. He said, "What you said was, you get like a load of arguments going on, and then three blokes would end up picking on one, you know, and they'd all have a go at one particular bloke. Then you'd have, you know, one bloke really fed up and pissed off. He said, and then the shit would hit the fan, and we'd all." You know, we'd all be in action and all that, and you'd all be mates again. You know, and um, well, life was very short. Yeah. yeah. And he he told he told me a story about how he went ashore at Salerno, and he he parked his Bren gun carrier up on the uh, up on the beach on the, on the grass, and then he got the orders to move off, and uh, he got to Rome, and his mates turned up, caught him up, and said, "Fucking hell, you were lucky." He said, "Why?" He said, "You know, when you drove off, he said there was a big." patch of uh, dead grass where your brain gun carrier had been. He said, anyway, he went round the corner and a fucking shell landed right in the middle of it. And Jack went, oh, God, <laughs> you know, God. Could have been this. Well, that was the other thing about the vehicles yeah. we used. The, 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 do you remember yeah, the rubber, the rubber tanks? I had to abandon them because they were going, bang, <laughs> bang, bang, bang. And then Charlie Mann's blokes on, on uh, in Amersfoort, they discovered a Sherman tank holding up a bridge. Wow. Yeah. Remember that? Well, they, they got, for, like, well, what, for real? pulled it out. Well, one, that, well, one so, that had been left after the battle, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was holding our bridge in the, mid, in the middle of the moor, and they pulled the tank out, cleaned up the crankcase, got it working, and it lumbered, it lumbered off into amazing. the queue. It was wonderful. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. And they had all these lovely Americans. Do you remember the first day we were there? We turned up at Booslow to get our uniforms, and... And we turned up, and a, a load of uh, German SS wandered up and started chattering away. And there, there was German soldiers walking past. We just got off the aeroplane from England, and um, this tank—they were working on this tank—and then all of a sudden it went bang, blew up, and all this flame came out of it. And all these uh, special effects guys jumped off, started laughing and joking and swearing and all that. And it was one of the tanks that they dug up out of the uh, polder. Yeah, that they oh, were trying to get going yeah. for the film. And uh, no. they started it, and obviously the fuel system had gone. So the whole fucking thing brewed up. Gone. That, that, yeah. that was our welcome to Holland. <laughs> Amazing. First day there. <laughs> Wonderful. But also, when the two the, the heroes of the, of the, of the hour, uh, Frost and Urquhart, arrived on scene, they absolutely yeah. loved well, it. Well, I was standing talking to General uh, Colonel Frost, or General Frost, uh, and he said, um, yeah. I was furious when I got to the bridge at Arnhem. And I said, why? He said, because it was just like this. He said, this was just like Daventer. He said, town on that side, green fields on the other. He said, we could have dropped. Yeah, they could yeah. have dropped us there. He said, we could have dropped why didn't they drop us on six that side? battalions there. He said, you couldn't have landed yeah, gliders because of the um, telegraph poles. Yeah. 
but they could have dropped the paras on there. And also, he said there was a thousand Dutch resistance in the town who were ready to grab the bridge. Uh, They're called the Landleike Knoppelugen, which means strong arm boys in Dutch or whatever. But they were all uh, ex Dutch army and had hidden uh, anti tank weapons and weapons all over Arnhem, buried them. And they were ready to go if they'd have only got the order from yeah. our intelligence people to grab the bridge. But they could never have admitted they were going to have 20% losses anyway. Uh, they could have could never well, have the, said that because the, the, the operation no, exactly. would have happened otherwise. How, how many? Well, that would have, they would have lost. Yeah, if, if, they'd have, if they'd have managed to put a perimeter around the end of the bridge, uh, then they could have oh, yeah. resupplied it easily. You know, they could have dropped, you know, dropped stuff in from the air and resupplied it. And they mm-hmm. you know, probably won the battle if they'd done that. You know, they'd probably... But going back to the to the film, do you remember? I remember we were sitting in our caravan and Colonel Waddy came over to us and he was incredibly upset. And um, we we said, what, what? And it was when we were going to do the, the, the Americans crossing the bridge, yeah. Arnhem Bridge. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. what Nightmare. had been decided was that the German, uh, the Germans and the Americans, no, the the Americans and the English were going to meet in the middle of the bridge, and historically mm. it was us that actually captured the bridge. But politically, right. um, what's in the Joe Levine, just to give the Americans a bit of, bo- of a boost on the film. Made agreed to the compromise that they were going to meet in the middle, so it looked as if the Americans, Robert Redford, had captured the bridge single-handed. But historically, it was totally wrong, and and um, Waddy was totally upset, and he didn't know how he didn't know how to how to express it. He didn't know he didn't want to go to the producer and say, "Look, this is historically wrong," you know. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Well, similarly with John Stride playing the 30 Corps uh, Major, and uh, Redford berates him, saying, your men are dying out there, you're, you're drinking tea. No, no. no, it never happened. Yeah. It never happened. But, of course, for the sake of, um, of course. You know, drama and the film and a bit yeah. of fight, the Americans had to be shown in a good light. like so obviously you're in the kit you're in the apa you're you're there at the pretty much the same same t- uh, places that these the, the actual chaps who fought were so what was it like obviously meeting yeah. the, the you know meeting frost and and was and these people that actually been there and you're you know you're at you're there recreating it how did that make you feel as actors oh absolutely absolutely proud of ourselves but the point is also they just accepted us i, I mean to me it was like hero worship when I met Frost, I mean, Frost was like, you know, blimey, I've just met Colonel Frost. He he said one day, he said, I can't believe they've got a bunch of actors to do this. He said, I, I never would have believed. <laughs> he said, you're just like my no. my men. <clears throat> you, you behave like exactly. my men. He said, you you know, when you've got nothing to do, you sit around drinking tea, smoking, sleeping on your packs or uh, <laughs> playing football or whatever. He said, I, I, I can't believe you've got we've got a bunch of actors to do this he said mind you he said we did form the sas from the artist rifles yes yes yeah. and he, he said in fact it's still called yeah. sas artist rifles um and, and bill the yeah, armorer said right. in your case more like piss artist rifles 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a clip of um there's an Bjarnum report that was put on the BBC production, I think, during filming. And there's a clip of of Frost saying, Yeah, yeah they you know, they're like my boys. And you know, we, we me and Matt were watching it um, as we were preparing for this episode, and we were trying to trying to pick out you you fresh faced young young boys in it. Um, but we'll we have to we'll have to share it with you guys after. We think Sebastian might be in the clip that's in the in the little <laughs> documentary. Um, Possibly. So, how, why do you think? I mean, obviously, you know, you guys are, are in the film, and you you know you know better than most. Um, why do you think the film has stood the test of time, and it's still so beloved even now? Well, I can tell you right now, my my uh, nephew um, ended up as a captain in the Essex. Mm. Yes, John Yorston and. When he was a young parry, they were marched down the road in 1977 to see this film, A Bridge Too Far, and even the parrots were impressed, and they watch wow. it all the time. He's seen it about 20 times, and the strange thing is, when they have the reunions, it's not the, the ride of the Valkyries which they march to, it's too the far. music from yeah. A Bridge Too Far. Yeah. It's become their march now, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've, I've got a parrot lives yeah. next door yeah. but one to me, and, and he said, uh, you're in A Bridge Too Far, weren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, uh, "I love that film." He said, "That's a Paris favourite film." He oh, says, uh, "He says, well, well, we've had a few beers and uh, we want to watch a movie. It's either that or Zulu." And we we, <laughs> we, we leave but have a few beers and say, "Great, it's all going to kick off now, boys." And we want. Uh, <laughs> well, my my my, my um, um, nephew and his and his mates they have a few beers, and when they get yeah. to abide with me at the Hartenstein Hotel. They all weep buckets. Can I tell you a, a, a wonderful story about when they're setting that sequence up in the film where Dickie Atmer says, OK, boys, now, you're all exhausted. We're all sort of wounded and sitting there. It's the end of the battle. And uh, the Germans mm. are going to come across the bridge. And as they come over, Jeffrey's uh, uh, going to start playing the flute. Uh, and and flute. you're going to yeah. start singing one by one, Abide With Me. He's going to be playing Abide With Me. So anyway... This uh okay, so okay, boys, ready, action. So anyway, Germans come across the bridge. Jeffrey starts playing the flute, and Norman Gregory said, "We're not going to surrender to that fucking bunch of wankers, are we?" They went, cut, Who said? Who said that? He said, "Who said that?" And we all kept stood. We didn't want to drop Norman in it, but I, <laughs> I think it, I think it was Norman's last <laughs> tribute to the um, Airborne before. Uh, wow. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> Jack, you mentioned Bill Elmore, the armor earlier. Bill Elmore, yeah, yeah. We were reading in 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 the Arnhem report. There was a there was a little thing published as well, and it it says that he did most of the the Piet yeah. firing on on, yeah. on the on the bridge. So what what was Bill like? Because he must have had so much going on with all of those weapons, and then to be called on to bring yeah, up the pier. A thorough man. He had to be very thorough. As, as, as Sebastian said already, I had a problem because not only was I training, but I was keeping my eyes open on kit, on uh, where people were going. You know, because as you know, some of them went astray, making sure people didn't have pockets full of blanks and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I, I found a brain gun. And a can of ammunition outside the public lavatory. What? And yes, uh, the Dutch extras. And judging by the screams of joy inside the lavatory, this <laughs> fall of nature was a bit more exotic than the norm. 
Then I, then I found a, a Thompson submachine gun hanging from a tree in the forest. He got, oh, no. he, he got to pick bluebells. That's a KLM job. Uh, <laughs> well, they, but they were Dutch extras. You know. No, they were Dutch yeah, extras. Yeah. Well, I, I, I have <laughs> to say, with the coach that you lot were all on driving to the locations, and I had my red van, I always had my own way of guessing. <laughs> um, I love that van. I was so oh, envious of that van. I slept I in it. it. It became it became a, a oh. absolute anyway. But um, one day we were there, and all the lads had left the coach, but they left all their gear on the coach. Mm. And I don't know why. I think mm. I'd arrived a bit late and parked up my van, and I saw the coach driver going through the gear on the coach, and and this was really? quite late on. And I suddenly mm. got consumed with a sort of rage. I thought, and he was going to drive the coach off. I literally tried to jump up. There was a high sort of entrance at the back because the front doors were closed and the back was open. And he was stamping on my hands, trying to stop me getting into the coach. And this whole and I grabbed oh, his yeah. legs, pulled him off, dragged him round, and I had him in front of the, the coach against the engine holding him and mm. sort of thump him, Dickie Attenborough turned up. <laughs> and I was in a total state because I was con convinced that this guy was going to drive off with all our fucking gear on the coach, you know. <laughs> and Dickie just couldn't believe it. He was very, very calm, Tim. Now, what are you doing? What's going on here? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It was a it was a moment of, of I think I started to crack at that point. Violence was yeah. I think we all that. started, didn't we? We all started going. Well, who, I can't remember who it was. I was adjusting somebody's kit because it was all wrong. You know, gators yeah. were upside down. You, things you'd spot. Oh yeah. Uh, buckled yeah. belts were upside down. So uh, I said, I said, no, 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 it shouldn't be like that. And I took his, you know. Thick shaft thing. He said, but, but Jeffrey, there's a Jeffrey somebody with costumes. Jeffrey says, I said, look, fuck Jeffrey. Just as Richard Attenborough went past, he said, quite right, yeah, fuck Jeffrey. <laughs> Everybody else is. Everybody oh, else is. Wow. <laughs> <Well. laughs> what was Attenborough like? So you all must have had a chat with him at some point. I worship the man, worship him. I was a bit in awe of him, I must admit. Yeah, great guy. It's, it's difficult yeah. not to be, isn't it? You know, yeah. Yeah. When we had that scene where you shot me dead, Tim, you know, when we come out of the when the general comes out of the house and all that. And I, I clocked my head on the edge of the curb. I just did a tumble, you know. And it first thing, despite all the other senior actors around, you know, he came and got, you're right, darling. Oh, fine, okay, that's okay. <laughs> it was that's the sort of person yeah. he was. And equally on the first day on the bridge, you might remember this. But um, suddenly, one of the crew, uh, the wife of one of the crew members, and these two children arrived on the bridge, and Richard stopped what he was doing and took the kids' hands and walked across the bridge and saying, saying to the chaps, "Why? Now we're doing that over there, and over there's it." And it, it was wonderful, which is one of these quiet mm. moments that you know. I've got an eidetic memory; mm. it's a snapshot of him doing this in the, in the first day of filming. It was a terrific yeah, it, thing to yeah. watch. Amazing because. He was working on that film for three years, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. And he was working, yeah. what, 70 hours a week, seven yeah. days yeah. a week on it. Yeah. So yeah. he must have been exhausted, you know. And carrying and, reels. And he, was still, he, he was still, you know, nice enough to mm -hmm. do stuff like that. Yeah. Carrying reels of film to get money, more money for the film. Yeah. I mean, that, that sequence with James Kahn, 
uh, was the f- uh, I, I, I saw you <laughs> chatting on the yeah. other podcast about how you know how how does that fit into the film? Yeah, that was the first sequence we saw when we got to Holland, and it turns out that he was using it to raise money, right? To make to, to make oh. the rest of the film. So, so, so he shot that sequence with James. That makes Carl. sense because it does feel yeah. like a short film. It is exactly like a film, isn't it? It's like a film on its own. So he showed it to a load of Japanese investors, and they. They they fronted up with the rest of the money, right? Yeah, because there's a, I don't know if you've seen it, but there is a cracking Japanese poster for the film that has there got is, yeah, yeah. every single bit of kit in the movie bar the bridge on it. It's, it's a cracker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you something on the river crossing. Yeah, we had there was it uh, Turks boats from Henley. They had the real canvas. That's boats. it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were all GIs. Yeah. We were all GIs. I've got I've got a photograph behind me, and. Um, what was extraordinary was we all got we got them loaded into the water, and then the engines packed in yeah. mid river. So but they literally were Roy's they took, rifle butts and yeah. paddles. Yeah, they they took they took the engine out of our boat and put it into Robert Redford's boat. Well, <laughs> so, so so we had to paddle. And we're Robinson using rifle said, butts and all that, you know. Doug Robertson said to me, "Cover Redford, sit in the sit in the in the prow." Mm. He said because he gets off first. <laughs> all right. I said, yeah. So we got to the far side of the river, and he said, jump. So you know, so I jumped into twelve feet of bloody water. Yeah, so did I. And when I came they... up the surface, Redford stood in my bloody head to get on the beach. What we didn't expect to be blown up as we went across. No. Did we? Oh no! So you you were all you were all in the river crossing scene. We we were all we were all in the river crossing the river Val. Yeah, that's amazing. There was a side element to that as well, because before we got onto the boats and loaded up and all that, we were down in that valley, just the other side of the dike, and yeah, Robert so Redford was making his speech to the troops. And Big Frank, who was a, yeah. a, a film encyclopedia and knew everything, and his big ambition was to be in the scene with with Robert Redford, his featured moment. And he's very, very tall. And he was dressed in his American uniform, and as we all were on that day. And Robert Redford, with his blonde quiff, you know, had to have his his helmet back over his head, sort of in a cocky angle, so that you saw the quiff, so that we knew it was Robert Redford. And suddenly, I, I remember it was Steve, or one of the assistants came out and said, Frank, I'm really sorry, but we can't have you in this scene because he was too tall and he was standing oh, right yeah. next to Robert Redford and it broke his heart. <laughs> it broke his heart. But I remember a four-knot river, four-five-knot river, it was fraught with disaster. Somebody was going to drown. Happily, nobody did, but what was yeah, thank God. extraordinary was in the middle of the river, it was all milling about with all these boats were floating left and right and sideways and so on. And we suddenly heard, gathering in the sheaves, we're gathering in. There was that guy at the front, one of the boat, the blonde guy going, gathering in the sheaves, like this, the top of his voice. And all I could see was Redford's voice going. <laughs> <laughs> and then we landed. There were a couple of real paras with us who uh, oh, yeah. were, were staying with us in our old folks' home yes. that we lived in, and and, uh, and, uh, and they'd done the jumps. They'd done the, they brought the first <laughs> battalion over to do the drop sequences, mm. and they had some leave coming up. So they said, "Well, let's uh, spend some time 
you know, working as extras on the film. Yeah. You know, they they're all fully trained and out of father weapons and all that. So anyway, they're 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 on the bank, and we all had to wear life jackets under our uniforms. And some of them inflated them just in case to make sure they worked so they looked like pregnant. But um, <laughs> but uh, I, I didn't inflate mine. I was too vain. But um, then then but uh, but anyway, um, these two paras were there, and I said, "Do you want to come in our boat?" And he went, uh, "No, I don't think so, mate." <laughs> I said, I said, I said, what? Come on, come on up. He said, no, no, look, 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 looks a bit dodgy to us. And I said, dodgy? I said, you're Her Majesty's finest. I said, I know we are, but we're not getting in that boat. We leave that sort of job to the Marines. <laughs> yes, so, so, so anyway, he's stuffing a, a, a hot dog in his mouth. He's got a cup of tea. And we went across and... The whole river exploded, right. and we, even though we didn't have an engine, we were the first boat over. <laughs> away like that. Like a speeded up film. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's like a Tom and Jerry oh, cartoon. <laughs> and I, and I leapt out because I, I to, to pull the thing up, to pull the boat up, and I leapt out too early, and I went down at the end of this rope. And because I was weighted down with a rifle and a tin helmet and a pack and everything, it meant I could actually walk along the bottom <laughs> and come out. So anyway, anyway, I walked along the bottom, came out the other side, and then we got back in the boat, so I had to paddle back across the river and do another take. Wow. And as I got back across the river, this para said to me as I got out soaking wet, he said, I told you it was dodgy, <laughs> didn't I, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Diving, yeah. Amazing. It's, totally, yeah. it's like it was like being in sort of a wet canvas bag, and it was. Yeah. I tell you, yeah. There's little wooden struts in them, but it's and they were genuine of the period. But, you know that sequence in the movie is just it's it's still it's staggering even now. It, it stands the test of time. Well, the courage those guys showed getting oh, across that river. Yeah, without you know, without doubt. Uh, uh, Without doubt. I mean, the ones who did it for yeah, real. Of course. Yeah. That, 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 that was the 82nd, wasn't yeah, it? The 82nd yeah, the 82nd airborne. Yeah. We, had, the 82nd, we used yeah. a tank for the, the close-ups. Yeah. John Ratzenberger getting shot and somebody else, it. you know. Yeah, yeah. They reckon they had 50% casualties yeah, going across yeah. there. You know, right at the end of the war as well, you think, oh, yeah. fucking hell, I've got a chance of going out. You know, now I've got to do this. Just mm. shows the courage, courage uh, of men. Yeah, amazing, yeah. yeah. And that, that was that was the other that was the other point is it was not just looking like soldiers but behaving like soldiers in the middle of these these mass scenes you know that's that, that sense of urgency the whole time we've got to get on the ground we've got to get going we're nine miles away from the target and, and it, it 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 vibrated with that feel didn't it yeah yeah it was like oh Colonel Waddy said he was deeply concerned about our quality at first didn't he yeah uh, uh, in the end he loved us <laughs> yeah. But 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 you see, you know, at least he wasn't like the Duke of Wellington. At least he didn't call us scum. Yeah, well, he did a couple of times. <laughs> did he call us scum? Scum. Jim, is he? Oh, oh, dear, dear old Cowley. I can't, I can't thank you enough, chaps, for coming on. I mean, it, we've just been, we've just had an absolute blast listening to your stories and. Yeah, we really, really are deeply thankful for you and, and grateful for you, for all of you to, to come on and, and talk to us today. Um, well, I just say we could use it. That's oh, all. Without a doubt. I, I will... <laughs> well, I tell you, if, if I hadn't picked up that book back in 1975 and read it, and I'm yeah, same here. Oh, wouldn't be yeah, here. Sebastian. Effective. I was oh. just dipping into yeah. your book, and there was the incident with Alf Joint falling off the roof. Oh, yeah. I was there. I, yes. witnessed it. I was holding the ropes, one of the ropes of that inflatable thing. 
which was a brand new thing. Normally they would have used boxes. Well, yeah, brilliant. that's it. And what action? And I was standing right behind him. You were on the roof, were you? Yeah, I was right well, behind I him. One, I saw one, him go I over. I was yeah. on the ground holding because he said, "Get, come on, lads." So we all had had a rope to stop it turning mm. over, moving, moving. Yeah, and um, mm. just before the action, Dickie said to him, "Now, I, I, I don't want, I, I don't want you know any um, acting as if you've been shot. You just fall off." And what happened? It yeah. threw him. Because instead of throwing himself slightly out when he would have landed in the middle yep. of the cushion, yes. he fell over the edge and hit the edge of that big inflatable thing. And yep. none of us could yep. hold it down. And the whole thing went like mm. that. He broke Did he his break, collarbone. He broke his I mean, collarbone, didn't he? I, wow. I, I witnessed, it. I saw his face, and it was literally as if he had died. It was like witnessing the yeah. death of a star. He Alf. was totally still. He stood up. He knew he had to stand up, and I could tell he didn't want to, <clears throat> but he was totally white. His everything had drained from mm. his face. Absolutely shock. shock. Yeah. It was, yeah. You know, yeah. Well, I I was behind him and I saw him go. And I thought he hasn't fallen right. You know well, what I mean? He's just went, he just, went, he just sort Dickie of dropped. Note that yeah. made him yeah, and I, I and I thought, and then I, I just heard that awful yeah. silence. Oh, yeah. You know, I oh, thought, no, we all oh thought, dear, and, I, and yeah, I couldn't very, see him land. I was right but I thought, in front of him. I something's saw, gone wrong. You know, witness the yeah. whole thing. It yeah. was it was horrifying. It was awful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, poor old Alf. Thank God he's all right. And uh, Paul Weston broke his leg, didn't he? And yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, we had one fatality. <clears> that was uh, Johnny Richardson's wife. But that was not on the film. It was a drunk driver killed her. Oh, wow. Yeah, just girl, just going back girl. to the end of the film, yeah. the people at the end sure. of their tether, did any of you witness mm. the fight, the punch-up, Steve Lanning, Dave Tomlin, and the bouncers and the owners of the Pelican Bar on the main square in Davon? No. Oh, fucking hell. I wish I'd been I there. Jesus. It. It was, they were paralytic, and it was like they were... Totally berserk, and I remember. And they, these were big Dutch guys. You know how big the Dutch are. They, they, well, anyway, it was unbelievable. <laughs> they were absolute hammer and tongs, and and I think that was yeah. probably the evening of the last day or something. Wow! Was, what a finale! <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, well, when, indeed. When, when 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 they dropped first, well, the first battalion on Ginkle Heath. We opened up on them, and they weren't expecting to be fired at. I thought, hang on a minute, we're going to be on the sticky end of a counterattack here, you know, because they weren't expecting to be fired on. So I, I got up and I went, hello, lads. They went, they got up and looked at me like that, you know, you bastards. <laughs> and uh, so, so, so we picked their kit up for them and put it on their Jeep so they could drive it back to their <laughs> rendezvous point. And I invited them. I said, come to Davinter tonight, come and have a few beers with us. So the whole battalion turned up. Yeah. Six, 600 of them turned up and crammed themselves into the Pelican Bar. And there was Andrew Milbourne there who'd fought at the battle. Yeah. And he kept buying us beers. Yeah. He, he said, let me get you a beer, lads. And I said, no, we need to buy you a beer, Andrew. You're the hero. Don't buy beers for us. So, so anyway, I'm chatting away to him. And he said, he, he said, have you been in any fights yet? <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I, I said, no, I said, I said, the only, you know, fighting we've done is fighting to keep Ollie's breakfast down. <laughs> and he, <That's> right. <laughs> anyway, he, said, he said, ah, you have to have a few fights. We had some fun, right. great fights. <laughs> yeah. and I, I said, I said, hang on a minute, Andrew. I said, we're a little bit outnumbered here. There's 600. He said, outnumbered? We're fucking used to that. <laughs> I'll tell you what. He said, I'll tell you what, all us old lads will come on your side. And I, went, yeah. and I went, I cried out the window and went home. He said, you'll never panic with a lot of traumatic. He ended up, it was severely disabled, he ended up looking after dis- disability pensions in the northeast. Whoa. Andrew, what a guy. What a guy. Yeah, what yeah. a man. Very brief story about it. Quite a religious, quite a religious man mm. as well, apparently. Oh, yeah. But he and yeah. Taffy Brace ended up in uh, Stalagluf de Levin B, I think it was called, a dreadful place. And he said, uh, he said it was for limbless, he said for limbless servant, wounded paras and things which, who had been captured. And he said, with legs missing, arms missing, and all that. And uh, he said, we've discovered the commandant had rabbits in a hutch at the back of the, the building. He said, can you imagine half a dozen limbless men trying to get a rabbit and tear it to bits so we could eat it? Wow. Anyway, they got this rabbit and they ate it and uh, went back to their beds. And in the morning, in came the commandant with his guard and said that um, well, one of my rabbits has been stolen and presumably eaten by you lot. Well, it has been injected with nasal diphtheria. It was an experimental <laughs> rabbit. Oh, God. And uh, so, and he just walked off. And Taffy Bray saw what was happening there. And he got Andrew under his, because they were starting to quiver with the poison from the, the rabbits. And he, could, he got Andrew under the bed, and he got under the bed, and in came the SAS and wiped out everybody in the hut. Really? And the only two people saved were Andrew Milbourne and Taffy Brace. And Taffy. Oh, Good yeah. God, what amazing story. Apparently, when he was taken prisoner, Andrew, he escaped with a bloke with one leg. Yes, right. <laughs> And the, he, he had no hands. He had no hands, and yeah. this bloke just had one leg. So he's got, well, we've got three legs and two hands between us. us. <laughs> so, so, so we'll we'll get on our bikes and see if we can get away. And they got about twenty miles before the Germans recaptured them and yeah. and and locked them up. Extraordinarily, over the years, I've met people who said I was at Arnhem. I shared a train seat with a guy called Andrew Love, who was a glider pilot going yeah. to Edinburgh. You know, and and innumerable people I've bumped into. Oh, I was at Arnhem. And they never said anything about it yeah. over all these well, years. This is what we say on the pod. We, we always say, you know, this is the power of the war movie. It's the power of the genre where yeah. it immortalises the, the, the people who are involved in it. Well, it's a very yeah. interesting yeah. thing, that, about the storytelling, because I did a play about the Falklands and we, we were just doing monologues, mm. real people telling their stories. And, um, yeah. and the guy who I played came to see me with his, with his family. Mm. And he was a medic wow. on the Galahad, and heroic. I mean, unbelievable oh, yeah. stuff. Burns people absolutely mutilated because it yeah. caught fire. And he mm. came up afterwards and cried and gave me a hug, and he said, oh. "I haven't told anyone that story." And most people who've oh, yeah, been right. in the war don't talk about it. My father, my no, father, never right. told stories right. or anything, you know. Mm. And it's an interesting thing that, yeah. I've often wondered why that One is. One last thing was watching all the Dutch people when you've got the Michael Caine scene with Elliot Gould and they say, you got that belly crap? And the, the Dutch sang the Dutch national anthem as though it was the day in question. Amazing. They were, they were when when we liberated that village with Tony Hopkins, 
they were all weeping for real and pouring beer over our heads. I mean, in the in the wartime costumes, they totally relived it. Yeah, no, it was very, yeah. very real. I, I remember they, they they were training us to to march like the SS. <laughs> That's right. And we and we went onto the square outside the old folks home where we were yeah. staying, and there was fifty of us marching in a squad like the SS. You know, yeah. and and um, this old lady came out, stopped, looked, and then just put her head down, and yeah. walked quietly along, away yeah. from the yeah, yeah, and as, oh, as well, it, you know, know it must have been. With, Mrs. Eitelin Gavistewolde, who had the, the commandant who took over the town, he wanted her family hotel, the, the, the Benningshook Hotel, as his headquarters. And he said, I want all the stuff out of the, of the hotel. And he moved him into, into the house, which I was in digs with him for a little while. And she was so delighted to have a red berry and combat smock back behind the door, you know. And I came back from the first day's filming, <clears> and on the table was a 1939 bottle of Chateau Mouton Rothschild. Wow. And the cellar was full of it because they'd taken all the contents of the cellars as well into her cellar. They'd lain yeah. since 1940. And so sometimes, sometimes I used to feel a bit bad, a bit bad about having so much fun yeah. over there. Well, I did. I, I, you know, when you, you you think, well, actually, you know, we're we're reconstructing something awful, but, a human tragedy. You know, ten thousand men in dead in also, a week. Also, we've never been occupied, and I know from all my French no. rallies in deepest rural France, yeah. the things they went through. Families lined up in a village and machine gunned by the Germans. Little gravestones everywhere, and they were. They were, we've never ever had to make those decisions and it, it makes yeah. me ashamed to be English that we, we we hate Europe so much now I find it utterly appalling this sort of anti-Europe mm. business that's being stirred up it is disgraceful and I remember some old guys who were at the, the ceremony this year on the beach in, in Normandy they were actually mm. saying we fought for Europe what is going on? What is Brexit about? We fought for Europe, you know? And all this propaganda, mm. anti-European stuff, it makes me angry, but sorry, I won't go on. <laughs> it's fine. No, it's no, don't worry. It's fine. I'm just going to say about, about the wine. that We went to a friend's house. He was a sommelier for Canary Wharf. He said, the 1939 bottle of Chateau Mortar and Rothschild. I said, yes. Well, that's about 135K now, isn't it? I was drinking it like lemonade. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then she was, Jack, another bottle? Thank you very much, Mauda. You know, I didn't know. If you can get it, eh? Hey. I had a lovely Absolutely. time in my digs. Amazing. <laughs> How I come you were in digs in Holland then? I thought you oh, were my staying there. friend was coming across and she didn't, ah. didn't, didn't want to sleep beside you, smelly lot. Ah, <laughs> oh, right. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, I understand that. Wow. But it. it can we just admit it was an incredible experience? Wasn't it? it was, yeah, it was a huge privilege to yeah. be involved in it and to know these, know these guys and uh, all the it other guys. The uniform to actually portray a soldier on the screen for me was just, I couldn't believe my luck. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, me and Matt, we just want to thank you so much, everyone, for coming on. Um, fantastic stories. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Very yeah. Thank you to see us. That's okay. It's our pleasure. So thanks, chaps, for coming on. I mean, we've absolutely had an absolute blast talking all things of Bridge Too Far again. We'll never give up the opportunity to talk about the film. 
Um, as always, um, like, subscribe, share the podcast, whatever app you're listening on, and you can support us on Patreon. Find us on fightingonfilm.com. And we'd like to say thank you to the, the lads from the APA. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on, chaps. Really great. So much. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Bye-bye now. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.